Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Yes, God, we ask that you would bless our reading and our hearing of these holy scriptures, ancient words that were written by the power of your spirit, and so we read them today in that same confidence that your spirit would speak through these words, would speak now to our moment, to these people gathered here, that you would use these words to shape and reshape our souls according to your will. These things in Christ's name we pray, amen. It's sometimes odd when we, when we hear a TV character whom we know very well. In this case, the character is Dwight Schrute from the longtime comedy The Office. I assume many of you recognize that scene, but if you don't, I'll try to paint the picture a little bit. Uh, Dwight Schrute is the strange and goofy and sometimes over-the-top person in The Office who is always preparing for emergencies or planning for things that would never come to be. He's over-the-top, he's ridiculous, but of course quite funny. Imagine my surprise this week to hear Dwight Schrute uh, being interviewed on a national radio show about his spiritual life, right? Of course, Dwight Schrute is just a character on television. He's played by the gentleman named Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson has written a couple of books, and he has a new book that just came out in the last month called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, Soul Boom. Dwight Schrute is this goofy comedic character and obviously has been a successful character in that show, but Rain Wilson is a very thoughtful and concerned individual. Now, he lives a different world than we do. He's part of the, the Hollywood elite out in the, the West Coast, the California scene. He's, he's obviously been very successful in his professional life, including in his role in the office, but he writes and speaks now about his concern for the spiritual well-being of our nation. Now, that's sort of odd to me, sort of interesting to me. Why would someone with his success, with his career, with his comedic chops, have such an interest in the spiritual well-being of our nation? Well, in this interview, he offered at least one quote. There's a few here that I might share with you. Uh, he, he quoted another person before him that says, It's difficult to get the news from poems. It's difficult to get the news from poems, and yet many men die miserably for lack of what is found there. And he said he might translate that into our modern world. It might be difficult to get the news from our spiritual traditions, but many men and women die miserably for lack of what is found there. So his sort of commentary on culture, particularly the culture that he lives in, is that there is a lot of money and time spent trying to find short-term and quick solutions to what ails us as humans. The brokenness that many of us experience, the loneliness, the fear, the anguish, all of those things that we feel bubbling up inside of us, not only that we experience as individuals, but that we experience as a collective community, the challenges that face us as a nation and as a world, that we often go looking for simple and quick solutions when what we really need are sort of the deep-seated spiritual traditions that we have sometimes forgotten. Now, Rain Wilson is not a Christian necessarily. What he's really talking about is kind of a broader recovery of our spiritual life, and not just in the Christian tradition, but including the Christian tradition. He talks openly about Jesus and how Jesus taught and lived and how Jesus might shape our lives as well. And so he sort of feels like he's, he's speaking into a void. In a world that is chasing anything and everything but spirituality, might it be time for us to recover some of our spiritual senses 
and to learn again the deep traditions, the deep truths about our lives, about who we are, how we function, and how we live together. Now, I think in the context of today's reading that Rain Wilson plays a pretty good example of a modern prophet. The prophet we're reading from today is Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Rain Wilson are not exactly the same, but you can see some parallels. In the same way that Rain Wilson feels he's speaking into this spiritual void, so too was Jeremiah. Now, I know when we talk about the Old Testament, it always helps to place it in its context a little bit. So let me talk a little bit about what's going on here in Jeremiah as we've read today. Part of what Jeremiah's work is, is around the the work of and, and preaching around the themes of exile. Of course, exile comes to the people of Israel after they have gone through a season of spiritual dryness. In fact, there's a few things that Israel does. One of the things it does is that it, it begins to demand from God that, that it would have a king, right? Israel, the people of Israel, begin to demand from God that they would have a king. And what they tell God in those complaints is, we want a king, we want to be just like every other nation, Well, of course, the nation of Israel was supposed to be set apart, right? It was supposed to be a different sort of community, a different sort of people. Their true king is God, is Yahweh. And so we begin to find that Israel is turning its back on its inheritance and its identity. We want a king. We want to be just like every other nation. We want armies. We want someone to rule over us. Mm. Of course, this displeases God, but, but the, the, the people are sort of bent on this vision for their future, and so they move into this new world, into this new identity. And, and what happens when you have a king and when you have an army? Well, you get taken over by other countries with bigger armies and stronger kings. And so that's what happens in the exile. Babylon is the big bully next door. They come in to take over the community there, the people of of Jerusalem, and they they not only take over that community, but they take some of them back to Babylon and turn them into slaves. Of course, it's a terrible scene. It's it's an awful event, but but it's really key to understanding the people of Israel, right? When they worship and follow God, when they keep God as their central focus, then things tend to work out well. When they worship and follow kings or other leaders, then they tend to fall into the same traps as every other community. So this is when Jeremiah is preaching. The people are being led into exile. The exile is just beginning. This is the beginning of the Babylonian takeover. And Jeremiah is a prophet who comes to the temple to to prophesy, to teach and to preach about what is happening in this moment. You can see here in this picture, I think this painting is particularly insightful. It's helpful to think of the exile as a reverse of the exodus, right? It's a reverse of the exodus. In the exodus, they were being led out of slavery to another country and being led to freedom. And in the exile, they're leaving holy freedom in Jerusalem and being taken in to the care of another country. It's a really traumatic moment. Jeremiah stands up to preach about this moment. Famously, Jeremiah puts a wooden yoke around his neck. You heard that a little bit in the reading today. He puts a wooden yoke around his neck to try to exemplify for the people what is happening in this moment of exile. They are being yoked with this burden, this burden of exile. But it's not without reason. The reason that they're being yoked with this burden of exile is that they've been disobedient they've practiced infidelity they've chased after other gods they've worshiped kings and people and so this moment is sort of a a product of their decisions and the way they've been living and this is a a yoke that they've taken on exile is is sort of judgment on who the people have become and what god ultimately wants them to be now that of course is a hard sermon to preach right 
this thing that is happening to us, it's terrible, it's traumatic, it, it's going to last a while. But this is sort of necessary for us to learn again who we are and what it means to rightfully follow God. And so you hear today in the middle of this moment that another preacher, another prophet stands up. It says that they're gathered in the temple and this other prophet's name is Hananiah. Hananiah. Now just imagine if I was preaching on a Sunday and Brian decided that he wanted to preach a different sermon, right? And he just came up here and grabbed the mic and started preaching right beside me but telling you something totally different. Would that work very well? No, right? Stay seated, Brian. Yeah, okay. That's what happens here in the temple. The temple is a little bit more of a free-flowing worship service. It's not uncommon for multiple people to speak. So Hananiah gets up and speaks and says, this will only last two years. This will only last two years. We're going into exile, but it's going to last two years. We're going to break this this yoke. We're going to break the yoke that Jeremiah is carrying. We're going to break the yoke of exile, and we're going to return back here with all of those people who were taking captive. Just to give you a little bit of the sense of the timeline that we're talking about here, the very first beginning of the exile happens back in 607. Babylon captures Jerusalem in 597, and then we have this dueling prophets here in 594. So the exile has just begun, only a couple of years, and Hananiah preaches this sort of pie-in-the-sky, hopeful, optimistic, maybe dishonest sermon. This isn't going to last long. I know it seems hard at the moment, but, but we're, going to, we're going to end this as quickly as we can, and God's going to bring us back to Jerusalem, and everything will be fine. Hananiah brings a, a competing vision for the exile and what God's doing in this moment. And his vision is one of hopefulness, and it's optimistic. In fact, Jeremiah says, boy, Hananiah, it would be great if, if what you are saying happens. It would be wonderful if the peace that you're describing would happen in two years. In fact, Jeremiah says, amen, may it be so. But let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what actually happens. Now, we know from history that exile lasts 70 years. So it's not until 540 that Persia comes to power. Persia conquers Babylon. Persia intercedes then on the Jews' behalf and allows them to begin to return to Jerusalem. So Jeremiah knew that exile was going to last a while. It was going to be a difficult and painful season, but that it was part of their faith formation as they come to understand themselves and what it means to worship God. Hananiah preached a hopeful and optimistic message. This will be over quickly. We're going to go back home soon. And though it was hopeful, it wasn't true. Hananiah, if you keep reading there in Jeremiah, Hananiah actually dies within a year. It's found that his word was false that God judged him as an enemy of his word, and he didn't survive much longer. I was listening again to some news this week, and I was surprised to come across this, uh, this interview with a guy named uh, Timothy Peichel. He, he talks about our motivations for our work, including the challenges that come with that uh, pro- procrastination, right? Any of you in here consider yourselves a procrastinator a little bit? You sometimes have trouble getting work on, uh, getting work on some of your tasks. Bob's raising his hand high and proud. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to get focused or to get to work on some tasks that are standing before us. And so he's a psychiatrist, psychologist, works with folks who, who understand people and the way our brains work. And, and he sort of outlined in this interview why that is, right? And basically, procrastination comes down to the fact that we tell ourselves a lie. We tell ourselves a lie about how motivated we'll be to do the work tomorrow, right? I'm a little tired today. I'm a little distracted today. But tomorrow, I'm going to feel different and better, right? 
I know that assignment's not due till Friday, so I'm sure on Thursday I'm going to feel very inspired, right? Early in my preaching career, I sometimes struggled with this. I used to write a fair number of Saturday night specials, right? That's where the pastor stays up till 3 or 4 a.m. and prays that God would speak to them in that moment so they would have a word on Sunday morning. I don't do that very often anymore. Procrastination is, is telling ourselves a fib. It's tricking ourselves, right? This thing that seems difficult, and I know it's important, I know it needs my attention, but man, it would just be easier to wait a little bit longer to, to put it off a little while, to not deal with the problem that's before me. And we all do this, and we do it in a myriad of ways. We can do it with our, with our health, we can do it with our work, we can do it with our responsibilities at home. We don't want to deal with some of the difficult things, and so we trick ourselves. We trick ourselves. That's a pretty good parallel with what's happening here with Hananiah and Jeremiah. Hananiah represents a group of people that don't want to deal with the reality that's before them, the reality of exile, and even more so the reality of their broken relationship with God. And so Hananiah tells this inspired but, but mistruth about what's going to happen. It'll be over quickly. It's not that bad. We'll be home soon. Whereas Jeremiah says, no, this is going to take a little while. It's going to take a little while. There were a few different conversations here at church this week that I was able to be a part of, and I really cherish those moments when people come to talk to me and want to talk to me, and uh, three of them happened to center around health care and, and diagnoses and the treatment that is coming next. And of course, I've been in ministry long enough that I've had a lot of those conversations, and, and when someone comes to talk to me about something that's difficult, whether it's a health care diagnosis or a, a broken relationship or a job loss or a, a divorce, there's a temptation when someone comes to talk to me about something difficult to want to be the optimistic cheerleader and say, oh, it's not that bad, right? It's not that bad. We're going to get through this treatment really quickly. It's going to work well. Uh, you'll be back to feeling like yourself in no time. Or I know your relationships are struggling, but it, it's not that bad if you'll just focus on the positives, right? And of course, there's a whole bunch of preachers who kind of work in that way, right? Just to, it's not so bad. It's all good. Just, just don't think too much about the hard things in your life sort of a Hananiah-Jeremiah tension there, right? To ignore the challenges that are before us, or in Jeremiah's case, to accept and acknowledge that this thing that lies before us, it may be difficult, may be painful, it may last a little while, it's certainly unwanted, and yet it's often through those seasons that we really come to understand our relationship with God more thoroughly. We grow in our faithfulness and our our need for God and for God's care. That's some of what Jeremiah is trying to get the people of Israel to see in this story. The lesson from Matthew today that Matt read, oh, I didn't think about that, Matt was reading Matthew, that was convenient. So the lesson that Matt read today from Matthew uh, was just a, a few short verses um, about welcoming and about hospitality. But I would encourage you to remember the context here. What Jesus is doing is he's talking to the disciples about their ministry and their life. And he tells them, as you go forth, as you go forth to teach and to preach and to heal, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me and welcomes my Father. Anyone who welcomes a righteous person is themselves righteous. Anyone who welcomes a prophet, anyone who even gives a, a cup of cold water to my little ones. So that text from Matthew is partly about hospitality, that we ought to greet people and welcome them and take care of them when they come to us. But, but really what's happening in that moment is that Jesus is telling the disciples, as you go forth... You are going to be totally dependent on other people 
and on God. As you go forth to share in the ministry of God, as you go forth to share the gospel and proclaim the life that's available in Jesus Christ, you're going to be totally dependent upon other people welcoming you. Those who welcome you welcome me. Just like giving a cup of cold water to a small child. In Matthew 10, Jesus is trying to, to reorient the disciples. Their whole life now is about radical trust in God's providence and care. Wherever you go, you're going to be hoping and expecting and needing someone else to help take care of you and, and trusting that God will provide along the way. I hope you can see some, some parallels there between Jesus' words in Matthew and Jeremiah's teaching to the exiles. The life of faith is about radical trust in God. Radical trust in God. Old Testament professor Ellen Davis, she, she says that the exile sort of teaches us that, that when the community of faith becomes too comfortable, that sometimes it has to be uprooted and decentered. Uprooted and decentered. And perhaps the same is true about us as in individuals. When we become too comfortable in our lives, sometimes something comes along and it uproots us and it decenters us. But it's in that being uprooted that we can come to know and trust in God even more. That we can grow in faith, we can grow in confidence because some of those old things that we took for granted, those old ways of being, those old ways that we, we solved our own problems and took care of our, ourselves have now been taken away. And we stand in this need of, of God's care and God's guidance. That's what Jeremiah is trying to tell the people of Israel. That's what Matthew is trying to tell his disciples. And of course, that's what I want to remind you of today. The life of faith is not about what we can do for ourselves, the world we construct for ourselves, the ways in which we care for ourselves. The life of faith is about radical trust in God's care and guidance. And perhaps it will be in our lives that we will come to learn that lesson most clearly in deep moments of need. Moments that feel like exile. Moments that feel like loss, that feel like pain, that feel like hurt. Moments that we do not want. And yet it's in those moments where we come to, to trust in God's grace and care. When we come to receive that cup of cold water knowing that we cannot care for ourselves. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.